Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Good to see everybody today. Want to say hello to all of you joining us online. We are continuing our de- today our march through the last week of Jesus' life. And uh, we're coming to a set of events in our reading today that had to be what the person who coined the phrase was thinking about when they said, with friends like this, who needs enemies? Uh, I tell you, it's not an encouraging passage as we look at the failure of the people who say they love Jesus, the, the, the people who are following Jesus. Uh, I, you know, I'm reminded as we look at this of Paul's words as a follower of Christ when he said, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a long, fancy biblical way of saying I'm a mess but I have Jesus, (laughs) okay? So uh, we are today looking at a a set of events where our our focus tends to be on the enemy and what the enemy is doing. But his friends aren't any help. Uh, You you know, they're, they're not any help to that moment and to him. So let's look and see what that is all about. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Today we're looking at verses 31 to 65. If you're new to our church, as I've already kind of alluded to, we are in a nine-week series. Today is the fifth. I think it's the fifth. The fifth Sunday, the fifth message in this Uh, as we started in about the middle of chapter 19 and are just walking verse by verse through the last week of Jesus. Now, where does that place us now? We have just had the Lord's Supper shared in the Passover meal, and uh, we are still, and as I start to read here in a moment, we're still in the upper room, but we're about to head out to the Mount of Olives. So that's where we are in our week and uh, kind of in the context of our passage here. So look with me at Luke chapter 22, and I'm beginning in verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. That's a, a good translation I just read there. I'm reading from the New Living. It's good in that it says each of you. Your, your translation probably just says you, and that is a right translation, but in the English language, we don't pick it up as clear because in the, in the Greek there, that is a plural you. So while he is saying the name Simon or Peter, he, he's talking to everybody in the room. He's talking to all of the disciples in this moment. Verse 32, but I've pleaded for you in prayer. Don't you already sense we're at a a moment of seriousness? There's something going on big here. I, I, I think the disciples would have to be feeling that. I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. 
Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Then Jesus asked him, when I sent you out to preach the the good news and you did not have money, a traveler's bag or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. But now he said, take your money and a traveler's bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, look, Lord, we have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. I don't know why I read that. When he says that's enough, I almost hear him saying, okay, you just totally missed the point. Let's move on. Verse 36, but now he said, take, or excuse me, verse uh, 39, then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you'll not enter into temptation. I, I, again, I'm feeling it. I, don't, I may not fully understand what is about to happen or what's going on in this moment, but it just feels like spiritually, physically, historically, we're we're at a big moment. He walked away. He told them there, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last, he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep. Now, that we can relate to, right? Only to find them asleep. Get up. Pray that you will not give in to temptation. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples, Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We, we brought swords. And one of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. Jesus said, no more of this. And, and he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come at me with swords and clubs to arrest me? Hey, just quick question. Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. And finally she said, hey, this man, this was one of Jesus' followers. Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I I, I don't even know him. And while someone else looked at him, he said, you, you, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, 
the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. The guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and said, prophesy to us, who hit you that time? And they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. You know, I probably could have finished reading this passage, especially with what I'm looking at today. I could have just stopped there at verse 62 and thrown 63 and beyond into next week's passage. But I wanted us to start to see Jesus bloodied and beaten. And that's going to get worse, isn't it? But we see, we, we, we close out this reading, we imagine there's some blood, the bruising is starting, and as you and I see that, it's kind of easy to, to think, okay, the blood and the bruises are there because of the Judas, because of Pontius Pilate, because of Roman guards, because of, because of Satan. But his friends weren't any help in this moment, were they? As a matter of fact, his friends fail him in much the same way. You know, as I read this passage, it it just, to me, is such a reminder, man, do I need Jesus. We need Jesus. And if I just stopped there with that statement, I I would assume that in this room, watching online, that there's going to be pretty broad agreement with that, right? Yeah, we're going to say, yeah, man, boy, I do need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need what he did for me on the cross. I need the power of the resurrection. I need his help to follow him each day. But really, the point I'm making is not just that we need Jesus. It's that I need Jesus just like Jesus' enemies need Jesus. Boy, if there's ever been a passage to remind us, I may be a lover of Christ, I may be a follower of Christ, but in this world and in this life, I have not arrived. Not yet. Heaven may be. But here and now, it is stunning how quickly I can turn and live for hell. Let's look a little deeper as we go into this worst night ever that Jesus is beginning here. Now, to to start understanding what's going on, I want to go back to last week. Now, when I say last week, don't in your mind travel way back when. Uh, The the passage we read before this wasn't a while back. It's in the same night. It's in the same room. It's in the same few moments. Well, so let's look and see how well we perform. And I say we, because can we make a case that we would have we would have fared any better than the disciples on this night? Can can we make the case that my humanity is such that, boy, you could have really counted on me, Lord, much more than these 12 yo-yos that you picked the first time around? I don't don't think so. So so let's look at what we're doing here, what all is going on. So we've just had the Lord's Supper. We've had the Passover. They would have said, they would not have said we just had the Lord's Supper. They would have just said we had the Passover. On on our Palm Sunday here, we're going to have a Passover meal, a Seder meal up here. And you're going to see that demonstrated before you and where or, or where out of the Passover the Lord's Supper comes. You'll take the Lord's Supper that day while the Passover is being celebrated up here. But they've had that Passover meal. And I don't know 
what the disciples fully grasped that evening. I I don't know what they were fully understanding that night. But they had to sense that something big was going on. Because in the middle of that Passover, Jesus started changing some meaning. He changed the meaning of some of the bread. He changed the meaning of one of the cups. These are elements on the Passover table that had had their meaning for over a thousand years. And you don't change the meaning to what these things are. And yet he just did. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about them praying, about pleading for them in prayer. He's talking about suffering. He's talking about betrayal. How do they not feel the heaviness of this moment? And yet all of that leads them into a discussion of which of them is going to be highest ranked in heaven. How did they get there? How do you watch Jesus, listen to what he's saying, and then turn to your friends and say, I think I'm going to get a better spot in heaven than you. How how do we do that? How are we able to be so obtuse spiritually to what's going on around us? And so they, they leave there. Jesus says, well, before they leave there, he says, hey, listen, as y'all are figuring out which one of you is the best, just a little FYI, before tomorrow morning comes, you're going to all deny me. That had to be a little bit of a shock, right? And, and Peter steps up. No, no, I don't know about these, these other guys. I won't. You, you can count on me, Lord, all the way to the end. Then they go out and they, they pray. And, and again, Jesus, what, what do you imagine his face would look like? Yes, he's the son of God. Yes, he's different from us. But he's also entirely human. He's 100% human and he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. Don't you think that shows up on his face a little bit? And he's saying, guys, we've, we've got to pray. They've got to be feeling something big is happening. Guys, we've got to pray. So what do they do? Take a nap. You know, I I don't know about y'all. There's just one thing going on here. But all of a sudden, and folks, prayer's hard. I mean, we'll, we'll put that out there. Prayer's hard. But all of my reasons for not praying well and not praying much, all of your reasons for not praying well and not praying much, all of a sudden as I read this story, I realize all of our reasons are pathetic. All of our reasons for not praying show just how obtuse we are to what is really going on around us, certainly spiritually, if not even physically. Then Judas comes and betrays. Next up to bat, Peter. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And then comes one of the more haunting verses, I feel like, in the whole Bible. Because right as that last, right as he says him, he looks over and there's Jesus. I just, I can only imagine if I'm Peter... I never forget that moment the rest of my life. I never again forget Jesus looking at me. 
You might be wondering, it would be natural, where did Jesus come from? I thought he... I thought he'd been arrested. How, how is he standing out there in the courtyard? Well, it doesn't say he's standing out there in the courtyard. From the moment Jesus was arrest, arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane till tomorrow morning when Pontius Pilate con- condemns him to the cross, he is going to be in six different trials, interviews, engagements. Six times he's going to move throughout the evening. So this is just one of those movements the, the guards have come and got him, and they're, they're taking him from just having met with the high priest, and they're now taking him somewhere else, which brings them right through the courtyard. Oh boy, timing's everything, isn't it? And there Jesus is walking by right when he says, I don't, I don't know him. Now, these are the the followers of Christ. These are they who love Christ, and they're just failing in such grand ways over and over and over throughout this evening. And And I think we can best understand what is happening here. If you look at verse 31, where I started reading, and it said, Peter, and remember, he's talking to all of them, Satan has demanded to sift you. Satan has demanded to have you. So I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Now, we might want to wonder, well, can Satan make demands like that? When did Satan do that? What did that conversation between God and Satan sound like? You know, actually, we don't have to guess. We don't have to imagine. I think we can see very clearly what that conversation might have sounded like. I encourage you this afternoon to go to Job. Job, a book right before the book of Psalms in your Bible. Job and read chapter 1 and 2. And in chapter 1 and 2 of Job, you will hear that conversation. You know, God is a father. And, and like a dad, he's, he's proud of his kids. And so Satan comes by. Yes, Satan has access to heaven. Satan has access to the father for the time being. That will end one day. And God, God likes to brag on you and me. And he says, hey, Satan, have you looked at Job? Have you looked at Peter or Matthew or James? Hey, is there any chance that maybe this week God would have called out your name? Have you considered my servant? Satan chuckles. <laughs> yeah, I sure have. Woo, you sure got to be proud. Give me one shot at him. Just give me one shot. We'll just see how proud you are. Give me one shot and we'll see just how godly and faithful and good they are. And do you know that God trusted Job? God trusted Peter and the disciples. And is it hard for you? It is a little bit hard for me to say, and God trusts? God trusts me? I mean, we come to church to hear about how we're supposed to trust in God, right? Not God. Don't trust in me, Lord. I can guarantee you what you get. A big L every time. God, God, God would trust in me. You see, folks, Satan loves to prove that nobody really loves him. Nobody's really trusting in him. Nobody really obeys you. You call them yours, but they are mine. You know, I don't know how we don't come to understand that and not become 
incredibly focused on herself and thinking, what point did I prove this past week? Did I prove God's point? Or did I prove Satan's point? That's a little uncomfortable. You know, again, folks, remember, you've got to come back next week and we read the passage and the guards are beating them and we saw Judas here betray them and there, there's going to be the, there's going to be the, the, the crucifixion. There, there's all of these things going on, but as, but as friends, the followers of Christ, the lovers, they're no help in this moment. And that, that's the very best thing that can be said about him, them. Is that the very best thing that could be said about us? We're absolutely no, no help in this moment. And, and I think as this chapter kind of weaves together what the enemies of Christ and what the friends of Christ are doing, I think there's at least three observations we have to walk away with. Number one, the distance between good people and evil people isn't that great. Now, what do I, what do I mean by that? And I'm good, my third observation is going to sound very similar to this observation, but they are different. What I mean by number one is when a good person sins and rebels against God, and when a bad person sins and rebels against God, do you know at that moment, good and bad is not the operative word. Sinning and rebelling is the operative word. We're both doing the same thing. As a matter of fact, are we doing the same thing? I would anticipate that God kind of expects enemies to be enemies. What does he expect of his children? Yeah, certainly on this earth, there's a big difference between the good ones and the bad ones. That distance probably isn't as great as we like to think it is. A second observation, and these are all things we see of Peter and of the disciples, but honestly, folks, I don't, I don't think we can make a case that we're hugely different. So I, what's being shown about them is true of all of us, which means I need to see that I have, you have, we have a great ability to boast about our devotion and our commitment to God. And not only fail them, but fail them quickly, like we're in the Olympics and it's a race. I mean, here's the boast, here's the claim, and wham, look how quickly I can turn on that. And then the third observation. Again, it might sound a little bit like the other one, but it's different. We need Jesus. We all say amen, right? But we need Jesus the same way as all the people in our lives that we think really need Jesus. Don't we all have a really need Jesus in our lives? Somebody at work, at school, in the neighborhood. Maybe it's not even somebody you know. Just somebody you observe a lot out in culture or in the news. And let's be honest. I know we all think it. We look at them. Boy, boy, do they need Jesus. And they do. In the exact same way that you and I do. You see, in the light of God's holiness, there's not a big difference. 
I, I need Jesus the same way that Peter does. I need Jesus the same way that Pontius Pilate does. I need Jesus the same way the Pope does. I need Jesus the same way that Putin does. Do you understand that about yourself? You see, we measure each other, and yeah, on this earth, I get it. I'd like to think there's a big difference. I hope you see a big difference between me and Putin. Please see some difference. And by a lot of standards, uh, you know, hey, I'm a good person. And Putin is clearly, he's the bad person. In the light of God's holiness... Oh my gosh, Putin and I may as well be best friends having coffee every day. We need Jesus. You say, okay, so what's the point? There's no difference between good people and bad people. I I guess the the entire point I'm trying to make as I read this, when I read this and I look at us, humility is the point. Boy, do we need to be humble. I need to humbly come to Christ for his love and forgiveness. I need to humbly depend upon him each day to live for him. I need to be humble in how I look at myself. I need to be humble in how I look at other believers. I need to be humble in how I look at unbelievers. And we do. I mean, it's just human nature. We always like to look at people worse than us to tell ourselves we're okay, right? It's with humility that we look. And folks, humility is not hating myself. Humility is, I'm a horrible burden. I won't ever be any good at it. Nobody's, Nobody's aided by that. God's not honored by you hating yourself and thinking about what a loser you are. That's not biblical humility. It's not hating myself. It is being focused much and it is trusting much in Jesus Christ because I realize I have not arrived. I am not way down the road from Putin. It is with humility that we take on the Christian life and our view of every single person around me and out there. You know, you you really can come to a passage like this and be really discouraged and wonder, man, can, can we ever really live for the Lord? Do we? I mean, yes, in heaven, sure. But here, do we ever really arrive? Well, you know, I think one thing is, I think our proximity to Christ has a lot to do with success and failure. I mean, when, when Peter is nearby Christ, he does pretty well. I mean, he said, hey, I'll go with you to the end. And traditionally, the, 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 the passage about the, the, the slave's ear getting whacked off, you wonder what was he aiming at? Because, I mean, really, if I'm trying to stop a battle, it seems like taking an ear is really not going to. But Peter, he's, you know, he's a fisherman, not a, he's a lover, not a fighter, right? You know, he, he comes with the sword and just barely gets an ear. All right? But traditionally, it's Peter that is the one that did that. So he seems ready to fight. So when Christ is nearby, he's bold, he's brave, he takes action, he has the right answers, he steps out in faith. It's Peter that got out on the boat and took a couple steps on the water. But boy, when he gets away from Christ, when he loses, 
when he loses that vision, boy, he, just, well, he sinks. <laughs> he wilts. Man, I, I need to be close to Christ. And then we ask the question, okay, well, you know, how do I stay close to Christ? Well, the first thing you do is stop turning it into a mystery. The first thing you do is stop acting like there's some complex formula for staying close to Jesus and only the really holy can achieve that because that's not true. You want to be close to Christ? Read your Bible, pray. Hang around people who read their Bible and pray. Serve, worship, minister. In other words, go where Jesus is and do what Jesus is doing, and you're going to find yourself with a clear line of sight to Christ. Don't do these things or do them so sporadically that it's almost like you're not doing those things, and you're going to find yourself betraying, denying, and asleep absolutely obtuse to what is going on around you. And just like we read this story and think, how in the world do they miss this? Somebody will be able to look at our lives and wonder, what in the world? It's so obvious. How how did they miss it? You know, I'm going to finish like Paul did. Thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. Because as we can kind of get down on ourselves and think, boy, I mean, can I ever really follow Christ? I see Jesus here in verse 32. And he comes to Peter and he says, after you have turned, strengthen your brothers. Do you realize what Jesus just did there? He cast a future for Peter Before he even failed. The failure hadn't even happened yet. Jesus knows he's going to fail and Peter's going to deliver. And Jesus is casting a future for him. Because Jesus isn't down on Peter. And Jesus isn't down on you. He actually loves you. He's actually for you. What are you going to use that to do? What are you going to use Jesus' love? What are you going to use Jesus being for you to do? Are you going to use that to continue in sin and spiritual laziness and obtuseness? Because you know you've always got his love and forgiveness. Or are we going to use that to love him and live greatly for him? You know, I, I do think Peter never got over that look. You know, in all of the resurrections that we see in the gospel accounts, only one person met with Jesus alone after the resurrection. Jesus appeared one time to Peter all by himself. Because he knew there's no way Peter's going to recover from this. He'll never forget me hearing that. And Jesus met with them alone, said, come on. Let's go forward into eternity. And look what happened from Peter there. Look how Peter used the grace and forgiveness of God. 
You know, he said here, I'm willing to die for you. And he did. They crucified Peter upside down. Let's pray. Lord, it's, it's uh, stunning, amazing, frustrating, confusing to watch this failure of these who loved you so much, who knew you so well, who walked so closely with you. Lord, I don't want anybody to look at my life and be stunned that after proclaiming how much I love you, proclaiming what I believed about you, Somebody who held on to your grace and forgiveness to use that to fail. Lord, may we read these stories and be warned, be learned that we have not arrived and humbly take on tomorrow, holding on to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.